Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Cartel Aristocrats. Uh, I know it's a little weird seeing someone with hair introducing this cast, but we're, we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. Uh, this week we are down two co-hosts due to vacations and planes. So uh, Travis and I will be trying to give you all of the Cartel Aristocrats finance knowledge that you love with a little help from our friend Paul Fiero. Paul, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Hi, my name is Paul. I work for MTG Deals. I'm the head pricer. I used to be the head buyer on the road, and now I don't really travel as much. Um, yeah, I do a lot of our pricing and our international arbitraging work, and I'll be at GP Vegas. Oh, we will be too. If you've watched any of our previous <laughs> episodes, you will know that we are very excited to go to Grand Prix Vegas. If you've made been forced to listen to all of us chat about our plans for the weekend, they have no bearing on anyone that's listening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever. We're excited. You should be excited. You can come hang out and play some Magic or not play some Magic and just buy and sell cards. It's going to be fun for everyone. Be excited for us. <laughs> I'm excited for me. For, yeah. So uh, so this week, like I said, we've got Paul with us. We've got a, a, a variety of topics to cover this week. Um, I'm looking over at our Twitter, Paul, to, um, to see what kind of questions came through. Um, you know, what hits you guys, first of all, about this weekend with standard, we had a lot of events that went, went on. We had, um, the team series over in star city land. We also had two GPs that were standard. Uh, Paul, you're the guest. Why don't you tell us, you know, was there anything that struck you this weekend? So one of the interesting things that I think we've already had an issue with is you can tell there's consumer confidence issues with standard cards, you know, like. BFC isn't even like getting open anymore, and people aren't going to take Ulamog Stitzel's Hungers out of their EDH decks. And TCG Low, when I looked yesterday, was like $22 for a, a deck that's just like pretty, like, you know, it's not six out of top eight, but three out of top eight, and like it's very clearly the most expensive card in the deck. Like, you know, we saw Lily in the Last Hope hit 35. Obviously, BFC got open more, but there's also way more Ulamogs in other decks. Like, Ulamogs should have a much like more sustained price gain. I think people are scared stuff's just going to get banned again, and they don't, just don't trust it. Yeah, I mean, to me at this point, Marvel works is like a 50-50. The only reason that I would think that they wouldn't is Aaron was pretty adamant before. He said it's the additional ban window means we are going to be able to more accurately land our bans, but it doesn't mean we're going to ban more. And they already have done more of it in the last, you know, six months or a year than they've ever than they've done in a very long time. So they're probably going to be extremely hesitant to pull the trigger on uh, on Aetherworks Marvel. Um what about you, Jim? Do you have any, any takes? I mean, I really wish I could be playing Standard right now. Uh, I played Aetherworks Marvel at the Pro Tour, and I think it's a fantastically fun card to play with. I understand that not everyone feels that way, and um, you know, the kind of the the hive mentality of it is that it's a it's bad magic. It's no fun for anybody, and it should get banned. But I think there's a subsection of people that really enjoy what it has to offer. I think that it's exciting to see Aetherworks Marvel in action, um, possibly not from the most competitive point of view, but if you have no horse in the race and you're just like, I wonder what's going to happen. It's like, you never know. Like, anything possible could happen. I, I watched very few matches this weekend, but one of the matches that I did watch was um, Jadine Klumperens was playing against a Aetherworks Marvel deck, and he just, like, hit the perfect perfects, like, six cards in a row and just obliterated her out of nowhere, and it's just like... 
that was really exciting to watch. It's probably going to be another one of the best of SCG Live videos, and we're going to go and see it for the next like you know two years or whatever. But I think it's I think it's a card that has a lot of people talking, and I think that's a lot of cards. It's a card that people will initially dislike if they're on the receiving end of it, but I don't necessarily think that it, it itself is a problem. I don't think that it's going to get banned, and I think that if people want to beat it, that there are ways to beat it. That's the type of card that I always wish just cost six, because it's really, really cool in EDH to do these big, flashy things, but when they make things cost, like, three and four that do flashy things, there's just too much, like, precedent of it just doing, like, awful things to standard or whatever. Like, if Marvel costs six and only used, like, four energy... I think it would be the coolest EDH card possible and everyone would be super happy with it. But the way that it's flipped like this, like, yeah, it, It's I, it's definitely, like, probably one mana a little less than it necessarily should have been. And I agree with Jim. It's a ton of fun to watch. Uh, but if you're sitting at those tables, especially if you're a grinder like somebody like Jadine is, who's got to play an infinite number of standard games, you know, between Star Cities and Pro Tours, it's like the excitement really wears off if you're just standing there slinging zombies. It's like, okay, let's, let's see it. Let's see, he's got a you know, a 43% chance to hit it this turn. Maybe I win this game, maybe I don't. So I can see where it gets real dry if you're grinding those games week in and week out. Yeah, and I think that's really just a, a problem with this standard in general. Um, I think Kaladesh, they really wanted to try to give people the option of playing combo decks in standard, which it just really isn't almost ever. And maybe we're seeing why it just isn't almost ever, and maybe they'll just shy away from that again for another 10 or so years in the future. But um, I don't. I don't really know what people want to do at this point. Like, there's not. There's not a real good reason to ban it. I think that if you do, then you just kind of end up with the same crap that you had before this. So I don't really know what people want to do. Like, I don't think. I don't think people know what they think is interesting, and I well, don't think that it's going to really change that much. Combo has in in standard had always been a very little bit goes a very long way because it's fun to think about and people who enjoy playing it like me love love to have the option but it's always fun um, when you are one of the few people who's doing it uh, you know like ad nauseum versus like infect mirrors and in modern in fact essentially being another combo deck or burn or storm uh versus ed Nas. none of those matches are interesting to really play it's just two players gold fishing and if you had to do this all the time it would suck um it's only fun to play like ad nauseum or those combo combo decks against another player who feels like they can't interact with you so with standard it's like everyone's people are kind of like excited thinking about what it could be and what it could look like and what it could do but when it shows up and then it keeps winning uh that's where it really drags on people like if a deck like this showed up if new perspective showed up at the pro tour and did awesome but that got crushed uh, by players showing up the next week to beat it, that would be okay because you would have seen it, you would have gotten excited, it would have been thrilling, and then it would have faded away. But Marvel works just constantly showing up over and over and over again. I think that's the real problem. Combo, you want this much combo and standard, just enough to get excited at the Pro Tour, and then you really want it to pull back. And that's tough to do because you have to be able to build a combo deck that will surface for one event, but then folds to the hate well enough, and they just didn't strike that chord with Marvel. I think that sums um, it up pretty well. Oh, sorry, Paul. Um, like, so one of the things with that is, like, I think that basically based on what Travis said, like, we're going to start seeing more standard fatigue like we have over the past couple years that within, like, four or five weeks of set release, like, we start to have real issues with attendance because people are just sick of it. You know, even back when it was just Jace with thousand, Jace Friends Prodigy and $1,000 standard decks, which obviously is a different type of player fatigue. Fatigue's not even the right word, but either way, people stop showing up as much. Um, 
So, like, the dynamic of having decks that can, sort of like how Dredges and Legacy and Vintage were, if there's a lot of hate, it'll be, be bad, and then the right weekend it'll show up again, like, with the new perspective stream, like Travis was talking about, makes a lot of sense, and it is difficult. But, I mean, either way, financially, I think that... I mean, I actually just checked in amongst actually a 25 TCG low, which is like getting to be a more reasonable price. But honestly, that card should probably be 30. Um, I think that you're going to see keep like high velocity on stuff like the Amonkhet lands and like all of like the cheaper stuff. But I don't know if the expensive stuff in standards really going to stick with these price points unless um, unless a change gets made because I just don't think the players are going to care enough to keep the velocity up to keep people actually buying all of the cards when, you know, like, summer, like, this time of year, like, people are just going to be more into things like Modern and Legacy just because the standard is going to be stale. And so you might see some dips in cards that are good opportunities to buy low on. Things like, you know, if Asphaltold hits, like, $4 or something, like, that's a reasonable spec um, as we go into the summer. Well, that actually leads into exactly the question I had written down is... Um, Right now, we, as we're seeing with the prices on Aetherworks Marvel sort of wither and even in response to being such a strong card and Ulamog, the price not being as strong as one would expect, even though it's a 25 low, it's still not as much as you'd think. So um, given that we're seeing that kind of fatigue in standard, uh, that gives us an opportunity that we can look at standard and kind of see what's going on. You know, you have that top level of like Marvel's doing really well. You're going to see some zombies. But if you look closely, we might be able to spot some cards kind of under the surface that are going to be really good in the fall that we're just only glimpsing now. Um, and that's what I like to try and watch during the summer. And depending on the standard form, it depends on how well you can pick those out. So you could have a card that's actually really well positioned for October, like for you know new perspectives or whatever, that just can't get there right now because Marvel Works is too dominating. But then as soon as that's gone, bam, that card spikes, and then you have a lot of, uh, of opportunity. So is there anything, Paul, you know, in your position that you've kind of spotted, kind of hanging around on the fringes, like as foretold or anything else that you really think we could see a resurgence of uh, in October? I mean, with stuff like that, like I tend to be much more of the opinion that unless the card like is something like as foretold where it like could be straight busted, you know, it reduces costs, like, which is the big red flag everywhere forever. I tend to be much more in on like casual cards or like car casual semi-competitive cards. Like the, the, the I'm going to have fun in 2-2 at this FNM, but have a great time type of cards, you know, and stuff like that I think is a, a much more reasonable hold. Like the um the white parallel lives that I can remember never remember the name of like when that thing gets cheap like everyone's gonna hold them because obviously but like that's much more the type of card in standard that there's a chance it pops in standard but also in the long term it's just gonna go up some anyways you know like if it doesn't do anything in standard its price point has nothing to do with standard competitiveness so like it's not really gonna drop very much on rotation so you're kind of safe there you don't have to, like an opportunity to buy it even lower but in the summer with a card like that there's just so much upside both long term medium term or all three and short term that that's more where i put my money so you're less interested in the super spiky possible picks than you are just the stuff that's like this is going to be good in edh and casual and also you might get a little extra value out of standard yeah i mean i'm just looking for velocity which i mean i have access to that you guys don't necessarily as much but i see velocity data like every day while i'm working and if a card is really strong velocity when it's doing absolutely nothing in standard and it's a powerful enough effect that like, you know, that parallel lives effect, parallel lives effect, if there's like a mid-range mirror, that's the type of card that could make like the grindy, or the grindy mirror like one side grind way harder. So 
So there's the possibility to pop for a weekend, and even then as you're selling it on the way down, if the card was three bucks, it hits eight, and you're selling at five on Monday, if you had a bunch of them, like it's just a complete free roll. Right, right, which is, which, you know, that's a big difference between you and people like Jim and I is you get to blast through 150 copies of that in a weekend and make, you know, two or three bucks a copy where, you know, we ended up with like three, three play sets or whatever. It's like barely worth your time. So that really highlights the difference between somebody who's at a store and people like Jim and I. I mean, but the other thing though is like with stuff like that is that one building relationships with stores and people in general is nice, but also like if a card like that pops, you know, MTG deals or channel fireball or cool stuff, Inc. are a great sponsor. Um, like they're just going to have, you know, we need 40 of this and that solves your problem immediately. You might not make as much money, but you have to pack one envelope. You know, they're going to pay you. The thing's probably not going to get lost and the stupid stuff's going to happen. And it's, you know, a, it's a much easier thing to do on your guys' side. Jim, do you have any thoughts on all of this? Um, not particularly. I, I know that like a lot of the sticks in the standard right now, other than the Aetherworks Marvel deck, like other than energy decks are pretty much all cards from Battle for Zendikar, Earth of the Gatewatch, Eldritch Moon, and Sh and and you know this this the sets that are about to rotate. Um, so if you're going to look at stuff that you want to pick up that could be good after rotation, we have to look for Kaladish forward and uh, the pickings are pretty slim, I think. Like, I don't know exactly what could get particularly expensive. Like, we see the same thing every, I think, with every set release where Torrential Gear Hulk gets really cheap right before the next set comes out. Then the set comes out. Then people remember it as you can play Disallow and Glimmer of Genius and Torrential Gear Hulk again. And then it goes back up into like $25. So, like, that kind of cyclical thing, like I don't know what it is with blue cards lately. That I feel like th they do that a lot, but I feel like there's some cyclical things where we can look at some stuff that was good, that is going down, you know, hits a bottom, and then you know people go back on it. But I'm not, I'm not really sure what else we can really be looking at with any kind of certainty. Like there's a couple of cards that I think could be good, but we'll have to wait and see. What do you guys think about uncommons in standard? You know, obviously, Fatal Push was a complete disaster. They released the FM promo today, but as we saw with, like, Sarah Vision's Path, that didn't really do anything. Right. But... That's, that's I, know, <laughs> I know people are really excited. They're like, oh, man, I can get these Fatal Pushes. And I'm like, yeah, you could get your $10 bills. They're just like Path Exiles. They're still going to be $10 afterwards. Yeah, like, it's just not going to matter. The, the, the god-awful number I have to pay on that card is terrible. Yeah, I know, right? It's like Path Exile is like, gonna be ten dollars again because it's always gonna be ten dollars like there's just no there's no other way for that to to work out well like i'm glad that wizards finally not i don't want to say finally but like recently has been on a and a good streak of these cards are going to be powerful and standard let's make fnm promos like the last the the fnm promo right now i believe is uh, unlicensed disintegration which is a pretty good one they released uh uh, Renegade Rallyer and um, Fatal Push today as like new FNM promos that are coming out later this year. I know Ether Hub is one of the FNM promos. Like they did a pretty reasonable job with this set or with these two sets with Kaladesh and Ether Revolt. But man, sometimes they are just like so off base. Like when all the shadows over Innistrad and uh, the Eldritch Moon ones are just all awful. No, nothing well, will, garbage. <laughs> nothing no, there was three-bit inspectors. They just didn't do that one. I don't know why. Nothing will, 
nothing will ever compare to the year of Jund, where they printed an entire standard deck card for card in FNM promo. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, so do you guys, so Paul, do you, do you like, is there, what number do you like buying fatal push at the promo? I should say. Um, so what I would always do with fatal push is I would basically fatal push this type of cards. You just try to make a dollar on from a store's perspective because you just, you're going to sell infinite. Um, as far as like getting in on them, um, getting in on like the F and M promos. Now what I would actually do is I just try to buy pack foils. Like, see if people are going to try and sell pack foils cheap because the FNM promo is coming out and they're scared. And long term, the FNM promo is just not going to matter. I would just be trying to buy pack foil fatal pushes just if the price comes down again. Seems fair. Get people who panic sell. Yeah, or just like they like them better or they want to sell you their pack foil fatal push for like three or four FNM ones, which is probably going to be about where the price point, or based on like the current number now, I'm assuming the FNM ones will be like, yeah, $10, $12, and they're probably going to go down a little bit from there because the art's not as good. If you're on like a three-for-one or a four-for-one ratio, there's a lot of people that are going to take the extra $120 they just made and go do something else with it. In the long term, you're happy with that, and in the short term, they're happy. So that's an easy use. Wait, $120? Are you telling me foil fatal push is $120? No, but they're 40 and so if you have a set and you're trying oh. to swap sets... I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, to me, that almost sounds like you you want to be getting in on the FNM promos, right? Like if you expect this card to persist beyond standard, um, you know, if there's this huge disparity between Packfoil and FNM, grab the FNM promos while they're cheap, and then eventually they'll catch up to the Packfoils. I mean, you look at stuff but like you haven't seen that with Path, for instance. Like Path's the prime example of why I don't want to do that because Path's like ten bucks for the FNM promo. They sell really fast, but they're just not expensive. Well. Path is brutal because there's a million copies, like a million copies of Path. But they're not foil. There's like a there's a gateway promo that doesn't really exist anymore. There's a bunch of foreign languages you can get, but English ones don't exist, not beat to death. There's a pack foil, and there's like the Modern Masters ones now. But like for even before the Modern Masters, uh, latest Modern Masters one, FNM promo was ten dollars, and the regular ones were nine. Yeah, you've got FNM gateway Conflux. Uh, modern two masters, modern masters and two, yeah, two modern. Yeah, that's like five foil printings. That's tough. Yeah, I'm, I'm with, I'm with Paul. I don't like the FNM promos for these. I don't really like. If you're gonna, if you want like the the most baller status ones, you're gonna buy the pack foils. If you want the most cheap ones, you're just gonna buy regular ones, which leaves the FNM promos in the weird like. I got some at FNM and I don't want my set to not match. So I'm going to buy more FNM ones. Like that's what your, your market is for those. So I, 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 I agree. I don't think that FNM promos are really where you want to be, especially like, I know this is really not a great indicator, but like the, the greater Twitterverse that I see has a relatively uh, downward opinion on the art of this one. I think it's pretty yeah. sweet, but I understand that it's very subjective. Well, it's colorful at least, which helps. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I don't think, I will I will nitpick one small point here in that you're talking about the markets for each of these cards and you're like, well, you've got the people who want to go big and get the pack foils and people who just want to play set of the of playable cards like the grinders will just buy non-foils. But there is, I think, a pretty reasonable market in between, which is people who want foils but don't want to spend $50 a copy. I mean, that's exact, and I say this as somebody who's in that bucket. Like, I like to get foils, but I don't want to pay up or pay for the OG ones. I think that's a much, like, as a shop, 
uh, person who works at a shop, I agree completely that we're going to sell a ton of the pack or a ton of the F and M coils. But I think the one that I would like to own, if I'm not going to own a hundred of something, I'm going to own twelve. Is definitely the pack foil, which is something that, unlike the scale that you guys are talking about, is much easier for you guys to manage. You know, it's like you just don't want to pack the extra envelopes. You have to make three sales, and you make like fifty bucks an envelope. That's obviously just fine. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so, okay, wait. Let me get back to my list of questions here. Um, okay, so let's see. We talked about. Marble price is not really moving much. We talked about cards that you're looking at over the summer. You know, as to answer your question earlier, that what started all of this, what do you guys think of on commons? You know, I stay the hell away from them. There's just, there's not enough margin for someone like me to really make any money on it. And maybe Jim feels differently. No, pretty much all the ones that I have are things that I've opened in draft or like bulk that I've bought from people that they were just too lazy to pick them out. Like, I have a stack of uncommons that are expensive, but it's because I bought like thousand count boxes of bulk from people. Like they were just like booster boxes full of the of the booster box that they opened, and I was like, "Oh, you didn't pick any of the reliquary towers out of your M thirteen bulk or M fourteen, whatever, whatever it was." And I just get I get like all this bulk for free now because they're all like three dollars or whatever. I don't really I don't really go and buy a whole stack of them because it's just too hard for me to move at a reasonable rate. Yeah, if, if yeah, you have them, you sell them. That's fair. So otherwise, and then you're not going to use much margin. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, Jim, do you want to do the giveaway? Sure. So if you listened last week, I uh, mentioned that our great sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com, uh, is giving us $25 worth of store credit to give away every week when we cast. So last week, I asked you guys to post a question on the Gathering Magic page, Uh with our with our uh, cast on it, and uh, I used the random num number generator, and now we're going to answer Michael Paun. I don't. Uh, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm, your your last name is P A O N E. I don't know how to say that. Um, but your name is Michael, so we're going to answer your question, and then after this, whenever you uh, listen to our cast uh, this week, uh, send us a message on our Facebook or Twitter or something, and uh, I'll get you the code for your store credit to use at coolstuffinc.com. Congratulations uh, on having your name butchered, buddy. You really earned it. Yeah, I mean, my last name gets butchered all the time, actually on the cast on the regular, so I believe I am allowed to do this at least once. Well, that's intentional, though, right? I'm not really even sure anymore. <laughs> um, so Michael asks, how do you guys feel about Panharmonicon, absolute EDH staple, and it seems like there's a chance for standard play, and it'll be in standard for a while. And then he says, edit, well, maybe I'll listen to the whole cast before I ask. <laughs> so I believe we've answered this question already, but uh, Paul, I don't think you've answered the question, so how do you feel about Panharmonicon as a card? I think Panharmonicon is exactly like the Parallel Lives rant that I just went on, like, what, 10 minutes ago? You can just substitute the Parallel Lives name for Panharmonicon, I feel the exact same way. I, I will add some nuance to this. You are a million percent correct that Panharmonicon is the EDHist EDH card that has ever EDH'd. My concern is that Wizards knows this too. Wizards knows damn well that that card is going to be very popular. Uh, it's going to be persistently played, and they're going to reprint it. I think you could see this in Commander every other year and possi excuse me, possibly some other releases as well. 
So non-foil panharmonicons actually make me a little nervous. I just feel like you're going to get slammed by them. You look at stuff like Soul Ring, um, Reliquary Tower, uh, some of these other cards in that stripe, um, Lightning Greaves, right? Uh, they just show up in the commander sets really frequently. If you're a store like Paul or Jeremy, it's easy to make money on these. They get reprinted in the commander set. You buy them for nickels and you sell them for $3 before they get reprinted again. That's great for those guys. If you're people like us and you're looking to sit on them for a little while and spec, I'm staying away. The caveat there is that I really like foils because most of the places that you'll see Panharmonicon show up again are not going to be foil unless they introduce foil CDH decks, which we haven't seen yet. I've got about 15 of them, 15 foils right now. They're still in the $10 range, I think, which is about the cheapest they've really been. So I'm much more comfortable there. I definitely like foils, but I think there's an opportunity here and that I think that we're not going to see a Kaladesh reprint for probably two or three years on um, stuff just like getting bumped up, like just wrecked in an EDH deck. Because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen anything other than when they like they double tap a reprint, well they'll reprint it and six months later reprint it again because they just love to make me sad. But um, other than things like that, like we've seen like a pretty reasonable delay between like standard and then a reprint. And so I think you have two or three years where you're in it. Like I think we saw the card for like $2 now, like it's dirt cheap. That if you get in at $1.50 or something during the summer, like you're just going to buy list them for $3 in 18 months. You know, like it's not super complicated right there because there's no chance no store that you talk to is not that, that sells online is not going to take 40 or 100. Like I take 200 Panamonicons right now would not even blink about it because the card <laughs> sells so well. And because of that, because that's not really going to change, like you have the opportunity to buy lists in chunks so that you're not maximizing profit. But it's like I said before, you send three envelopes, you make a bunch of money and who cares? Yeah, and I mean, it's not that I disagree with you on any of that. I guess I just... I, I put the risk high enough there for people in our shoes to not be worth it, basically. Like, the risk is not is still too high for the reward, but that's about it. You know, you, you could probably still manage it. Um, okay, so we did our... our well, uh, I, I do want to add one more thing. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Uh, this is not a very financially related question, but it is uh, it, an important thing to know about Panharmonicon versus uh, similar effects in that they are not exactly applied the same way. So um, the doubling effects from like doubling season in Parallel Lives in Primal Vigor are replacement effects that stack multiplicatively. Panharmonicon doesn't work the same way. It is an additive effect, so it only adds one more each time. So if you have one Panharmonicon, you get double the effect, much like if you have one doubling season, you get double the effect. However, if you have two doubling seasons, you get four times the effect, where if you have two panharmonicons, you only get three times the effect. I know that's like a really weird nitpicky kind of thing, but it does make it a little bit less appealing to people that play more than one copy of this card, which is a non-zero amount of like 60-card casual players. So uh, it is a little bit less good. The, sorry. I think my counter to that is that it's an artifact, and that helps a ton. That is true. That is true. But I, I had a conversation with one of my friends at work about how this card was not quite as good as he wanted it to be, but it is still quite good. Okay. Um, Paul, I've got a, we've got a couple other user um, questions that are worth chatting about. I'm going to start with one of my questions, which maybe you'll answer. Um, how much inventory of a card will you guys hold? Um, so for instance, you've got, 
80 or 100 copies of some card, do you list all of them or do you list like 20 or 30 and then, you know, kind of let people buy it out? Like with what regularity do you do that? Because there's something I picked up recently and I forget what, but I bought them out and then they restocked like a day later and I was kind of annoyed because I'm like, you know, did they have them sitting behind the counter and they just didn't want to list them? They only want to sell 30 at a time. Did they just haven't, did they not get managed to process them them yet? I was just kind of wondering like, what happened there? Not that they had any No, that's just a software function. You can just set it so that you only list X amount of time on both of the major e-commerce systems that most stores use. But do you do that on purpose? Like, do you guys oh, yeah. make a point to do that? Okay. You absolutely can. It depends on the card, you know? Like, I don't really care if someone buys me out of, of like, most random things, because if I made my money, I made my money. Other stores have different models and different, like... So one of the things that happens is, and there's kind of a disconnect in different store models and how customers perceive them, is that, like, for the store that I work for, MTG Deals, is that primarily we're an online retailer. We do some in-store stuff, but most of our stuff is like our model is based on online sales. And so the because we're dealing with online customers, it doesn't really matter if we're out of a card. Like, and it matters in the sense that I would like to sell you a card, but the fact is, is that our customer is going to buy X amount of cards from us, and if we don't have it, they're just going to click the next person on TCG Play. Like, it just doesn't really matter. And so from our perspective, I, I don't really care if we're out of stuff. Obviously, it's my job to buy more cards, so I'm going to try and buy cards. But it's not like a thing where I'm actively going to try and manage the populations quite as much. Whereas you can look at a store like Cool Stuff or Channel Fireball that's doing all of these direct sales and has all of this media and content to keep people on their website. And their business model means they have to have the cards in stock because they're trying to be a one-stop shop. And that's not the model that I have. And so depending on what type of store you're dealing with will depend on how they handle that stuff. That's an interesting distinction that I know I've never drawn, and I would imagine a lot of players don't really think of it that way, but it's interesting. Well, it's the same kind of argument that I've had for people that say, like, oh, why does this, this EDH deck X cost so much more than EDH deck Y? Like, ultimately, stores want to have everything in stock or nothing in stock. Like, you, you can't... If you if you go to your LGS and they don't have the things that you want, you're not going to shop there. And if you do if they do it enough times, then you're just not going to go back. And obviously, that's a that's a bad feeling for the store and for the player. So keeping cards in stock is definitely high on their priority list, uh, especially for like standard cards, for example, where you're going to be able to have those in the most often. Um, but I think that also there are some some other things like at play here, like. If you're worried about stuff that's like low stock in your store to begin with, you might not list as many of them, especially if you have them listed on multiple different platforms. Um, is is a way? It's a reasonable way to keep from overselling uh, by too much if you don't list them all. Okay, some good and insight that being there. Said, we've definitely had things where it's like or pull standard quantity before the pro tour when we have a lot of it or like. We'll see a card on round one in a PT, and we'll just pull quantity and then just relist yeah. it later. Like that's obvious. Like that's stuff that we do. But as far as like day to day management, like the spiel I said before is pretty much it. So you do you guys monitor the Pro Tour really closely? Like, are you sitting there with your finger on the button of your inventory? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like maybe not like so. Like basically, it'll be a thing where like day one, you cards are going to get bought out because some weird deck's going to happen. But it's much more about things like when they get in because you think that even if I'm not going to make much money, that the velocity and whatever I'm buying when they get back into stock is going to be so high that it's not going to matter. So, like, I'm not even trying to buy things like New Perspectives. I'm trying to buy things like Wandering Fumeral when the blue-red decks were really good at PT Kaladesh. Stuff that I know I'm just going to sell out of. It's going to sell with other cards. It's going to sell quickly. 
and it's not really going to be an issue for me. Like, I'm more looking at cards like that. Like, honestly, it's the same thing. Like, I always want to buy lands at the PT because I know I'm going to sell lands to everyone at the next GP. And that's more of like a, a store side, but even just targeting trades, you know, like targeting lands before the Pro Tour is always fine because some of them are going to go up. That's a, that's a good perspective. I've used, um, used to love lands in standard, but the change in, um, in the way kind of distribution has occurred, I have shied away from them recently for the last couple of years, but, uh, I can see how being a store, that would be very different. Yeah. I mean like stuff like Aether Hub, like you guys didn't really see it as much. You saw it was an expensive uncommon, but the velocity on stuff like Aether Hub when it came out was honestly unreal like it did not make any sense how many of that card we sold yeah it was funny that either how particular i remember my friends turned me on to like who were testing for the pro tour they were talking that it was really good and i'm looking at it, i'm like oh, i'm like i can't get copies of this for cheaper than like two and a quarter like it doesn't matter if i know this card is going to be awesome because it's not going to be more than four like there's no point in buying it i was really annoyed about that <laughs> um jim do you have any other input or paul any input before i have a tell us another question your way uh, I don't think so. Okay, Paul. One of the, we we had two questions about power. Um, the first one: What have power sales looked like over the last year or so? How have those trended? Um, so lotuses have gone up, but I mean the big basic thing with power is that if your power is priced appropriately and you've done the research. Your power is going to sell. Like that's the type of card where there's always way more buyers than there are sellers. And so if you do the research to pick like a reasonable number and not something outrageous, your power is going to sell very easily. And so properly priced power, the velocity is insane. Well, relative for a card that's not $600 or whatever. But I mean, that's more about you doing a good job on your end rather than an issue with the quality of the good. Okay. So, but okay. But generally, selling pretty well then over the last year. Like, is are you able to gauge in the last twelve months if demand has risen or not? I mean, you said the price of the lotuses has risen. Like, what about power in general? It's gone up a little bit, but not much. Um, I haven't been on the road as much in the past year, but like, I still look at like what we buy stuff at, and I'll see um, like I'll I'll see collections that come into the store that we have to go meet somebody to go buy. And like, but then like a lot of the other numbers haven't changed very much. Like, they've gone up like maybe five or ten percent. Lotus has been the one where like. Beat to crap lotuses are just you they're just not twenty eight hundred dollars anymore like they used to be like eighteen months ago. And so lotuses have trended up, but I mean I think that the game is still way too healthy for there to ever be an issue with power. Like we're just not at that point yet. And by issue you mean they're not gonna decrease in price. Yeah, or like not meaningfully. They might plateau for a little bit, but if they plateau and you notice that they plateau, I mean the reason they plateaued is that if you drop your price by 5%, they're going to get sold. Like that's what that plateau number means. Okay. So good to know. Do you really, do you think that, um, if the game, let's say loses 40% of their player of the player base that power suffers that much? I mean, it suffers in the short term for sure. Cause people are going to sell off, you know, I mean like the scariest thing that happened to the magic economy, isn't anything to like, obviously there's the, some issues with like, how product allocation is being dealt, stuff like that. But the biggest, the scariest thing to happen to a lot of that market is that when some of like the big players start start trying to sell, you know, the guys that are like, you know, I got three hundred grand worth of cards, and you know, it's like fifteen sets of power come out, some beta stuff comes out. That's when stuff starts to get wonky. But when those guys aren't really selling out, there's just not enough quantity for it to really matter. 
Okay. That's interesting. Um, good to know. I, I guess, I guess so. Um, the other question that we had come up was, uh, someone's looking to convert a lot of legacy EDA power at Vegas. Um, do you have any recommendations for them? Any strategies, people they should see that type of thing? I mean, it's awkward to say people they should see, cause obviously I'm going to say I just sell it on me, but, um, other than that, do your homework, really, really do your homework, especially on the high end stuff. Like know what you want. Know if you have any goals, if you're trying to get cash, know what your cash goal is and know what your time's worth. Because that way you can do things like you got to 80% of your cash goal and someone makes you an offer so you can get to 95%, but you don't have to waste another day of your life. Depending on how much money that is, that's completely worth it. But mostly doing your homework, walking the room, taking pictures of all the buy list boards, getting all the printed buy lists, and just sitting down and like that first day, I don't know when you're getting in, but if you're like you're getting in, I probably wouldn't do it Wednesday. I'd probably do it Thursday maybe late Thursday or Friday, I would just like get all the buy lists and start just have homework previously about things like, you know, checking MTG price, checking GG, and then checking the room and really coming up with a battle plan about what you want to do. Obviously, if it's only like a couple hundred bucks worth of stuff, it's not really a big deal. But you know, if you're in the like the mid to high fours and the five figures, like the extra three hours right there is going to make you money and make your process way easier. Okay. I, that sounds interesting. Like at the very least knowing exactly what you want to buy and what reasonable numbers on that stuff is when you go into the event. So you're not staring at the car and going, I don't know if this is good or not. I like yeah. That. Cause you don't want to juice yourself either way, either cause you get too scared or you get too excited. Like doing the homework beforehand just means you have the knowledge to make reasonable decisions. And then at that point you can't really fault yourself if you had the knowledge and made the decision anyway, versus you didn't really have the knowledge, didn't really know what you're doing and spent too much money or didn't sell something when you should have. Now, if I were, if I personally were looking to pick up a piece of power at Vegas and I'm like, all right, I need to know what to expect. I would probably, I might check out like the major store, Star City Channel Fireball and see what their prices are just for like the ceiling um, you know, what is reasonable to pay. And then I'd probably browse eBay sold listings, but beyond that, I don't know where I would go other than messaging Jeremy and telling him and asking him what I, what to do, but that's not an option for everybody. So if you're a player who's trying to ballpark, like, okay, I need a lightly to mildly played, um, vision, ancestral vision or, um, or ancestral recall or Mox diamond, um, not Mox Simon. Diamonds uh, are all one again. Sapphire. <laughs> Sapphire. Uh, like, is there a better tool to figure that out other than like eBay if you're just a guy in front of a computer? Well, you want to look at high buy list prices, which don't even don't get posted as much anymore because it's a funny thing. Like GG, uh, the quiet spectrator tool, kind of caused like this weird shit storm with vendors where everyone was checking like when um when Black Lotuses got bought out in like 2015 um, or 2014, whenever Jersey was. Uh, you ended up in this situation where people were checking GG and checking like Star City and ABU and up, ups, like upping each other by like $25 and $50. It was the stupidest thing that happened for like six months. And then people just started pulling um, power buy lists from their website. Like you can't even um, click through to sell uh, power to CK. You have to, uh, or sorry, that's Car Kingdom. You have to email them and get a quote with scans because they didn't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> and so you want to check, uh, you want to check eBay completed and honestly, Work the credit bumps, you know, see how much off of eBay completed they are. Like we tend to be about 10% above eBay completed on our power usually. And so like, if you like our buy list numbers, then like that's a reasonable spot to be because you're not doing straight cash. But you know, if like someone like cool stuff channel SCG that's on like a 25 or 35% bump plan, if they're paying a real number on a card. Vegas is definitely a room where you can hand someone 50 of a card that they messed up a number on with a credit bump and get some cards you shouldn't get otherwise. 
Yes, that is definitely a very good uh, tool to to look at. Um, I usually go to Grand Prix to buy cards. I don't really go a ton to sell them because I, when I'm selling things, I already know what I want from them, and and usually I'll just mail them or or bring them to a store. Um, but definitely, when I go to buy cards specifically, I will make sure to look at what everyone's paying for, like what everyone's selling them for, or what they cost on TCG Player to buy in cash. And if I'm going to sell, if I'm trying to sell cards to get other cards, I would definitely look to see what the math is on like buy listing to cool stuff, for instance, to get a card that they have there, um, which I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll shill for a minute here. Uh, if you, if you like cool stuff and you should, because they sponsor the cast, uh, they have a 25% buy list bonus online. But if you bring it to a, if you bring the cards to them at a Grand Prix, I believe it is bigger. And then you can ask them for store credit, which they'll give you a gift certificate that you can use online. And they have a customer rewards program that can get you up to 15% off of singles, which if you get the credit bump and then you also get the rewards the rewards reduction, uh, gets very, very close to TCG player pricing, which is great, which is why I buy most of my cards there. Yeah, I mean, and going back to power, like the biggest thing is check eBay and know how much over eBay you're willing to pay. Honestly, like if you're not going to do the buy list thing and figure it out from there. I mean, paying is not the right word because maybe, I mean, paying is reasonable because you're paying for security. You see it in person. You have someone check it out, whatever. But going to power is honestly, it's the same thing. I mean, most of what I'm going to say about going to Grand Prix is about doing the homework beforehand so you don't have to do as much work while you're sitting at a buy table. And that's honestly the biggest thing. Whatever you're trying to do for Vegas, do research. It's going to be a complete shit show out there. And it's better if you have it all done beforehand. Oh man, I have like a, about a 5k of stuff that I want to bring and buy list and I so don't want to sort it at all. I really just want to take this 100% unsorted box and just drop it at a ton of table at Vegas and be like, you, you deal with it. That's Vegas is not going to be a good event for that. Like, I think they're only probably going to get like 5,000 people, but 5,000 people and I think there's like 32 vendors is about 150 players to vendor, which is like a really, really good ratio for your buyers to just be pretty busy all the time. Vegas might not be the event unless you're coming there like Wednesday to uh, really slam down, just ruin someone's afternoon for like two or three hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, wait, you said that you, you think there's only going to be 5,000 people there? I'm assuming so. There's no modern masters. It's, yeah, it's a but... modern GP and a legacy GP and like a Amonkhet seal. Who gives a shit? Well, legacy GP seems, I mean, there's what, two of those in North America a year yeah, now? Like, that yeah. seems enough to like pull 2,000-ish people on its own. I mean, you're right. We're missing the like modern Masters Grand Prix. But I do kind of think at this point, if this was the first one, I don't think it would pull those num the really amazing numbers. But at this point, it's sort of become like the every other year magic convention, which they Channel Fireball seems to really be working towards that more this year. You've got the magic art show and all that type of thing going on. It feels like a, it's not like, it's no longer that Modern Masters is dragging players there. It's like, a, well, if you're going to go, if you're going to travel to one event, travel to this one. Um, There's a couple of problems with that. One is that, 5,000 people is still the third biggest GP ever. Like, let's 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 not act like it's nothing. It's literally sure. the third one ever. Sure. The other thing is that Daisy's really expensive this year. That's the, the Electronic Music Festival. A lot of, like, Vegas is taxing on the Daisy hotels. And so if you can't get, if you're not going to get, like, in the situation in Vegas 1, where it's like, you know, the store, some small LGS has got, like, three cases of Modern Masters 1, and so you couldn't really get the product, then it's much more exciting, and it's, like, there's something that, like, there's, 
that you you're really getting something you wouldn't get otherwise. Whereas this is going to be fun, it's going to be exciting, but there's there's no real chase there other than like the experience. There's no tangible like I get this thing I wouldn't get otherwise. And combine that with the increased price of hotels, like it's gonna it's not the way it was even two years ago. But do you think? Well, so the, the EDC has happened at least one other modern masters GP or Vegas, GP Vegas. I don't remember oh, which yeah, one, absolutely. Um, which is really just terrible timing on everyone's part. Why they keep putting events in Vegas in June when magic can do it whenever the hell they want, just boggles my mind. But I don't know, I guess we'll see. I mean, you could be very, you could very well be right. I, I, I guess I kind of expected it to be more than 5,000. Um, but I mean, at the same time, I guess 10,000 probably sounds like a lot. Like, I don't know if I would expect that much. So we'll see. Maybe I can convince my fiance to sort my cards for me and tell her that I'm teaching her how to play the game or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The other thing I think is a little bit less uh, appealing, I guess, about this. these Grand Prix is they're also very, very expensive. Um, it's like $90 for the basic package. The last Modern Masters Grand Prix was like, I believe it was like 70 and you got six packs of modern masters in your sealed pool. Like you got $60 worth of product when you signed up. Um, you really couldn't convince me that I'm going to, that, that $90 for a chat, you know, channel fireball sleeves, a force of will play mat, a deck box, a life pad, a pen and a progenitus promo is going to be a good deal. Like, I don't think you're going to sell a whole lot of people on that. That no, deal there's there. They're savage. Like they're just absolutely savage now. So I, I mean, I don't even know if it's necessarily that they're savage. Like, I the math doesn't work out the way that it used to because of things like judge comp and honestly because everything is just costing more, especially like in Las Vegas. But in general, like the cost of TOs has been much high. Like is just much higher than it used to be. And so like yeah, these numbers are rough. But I mean like the fact is is like they're still a business and still this is still a giant pain in the ass for them. They have to get something out of it. Like. $90 does not feel good from your perspective. And obviously if they thought they could get more people to come in, if they did it cheaper, they would because they're not dumb. But like, it's an awkward spot on both sides. It's not like there's straight villain, non-villain here. You know, like there's some things that have happened like when with the PTQs on Sunday that happened with the Canadian TO that like, that was an issue. That was someone actually doing something or if, in my opinion, at least, but stuff like this, like it's not as cut and dry as you see, because the fact is, is that like, Channel Fireball's a business, you know, like they're not doing this at a charity. They gotta pay people, they gotta pay people's rent. Like this is not quite as cut and dry as it seems to be portrayed. I, I wanna stress that this is not me complaining that the Channel Fireball, whoever else is, uh, raking all of us over the coals because they want to make a ton of money. Um, I understand that the costs go up. It's just, it's at the at the end of the day for the guy who's got to pay his entry fee, it's a lot of money. And it it's, you know, not that any Channel Fireball did anything wrong, just it's a lot to ask me you know I, i'm paying 90 bucks to play in this gp but i remember you used to play for like 25 right like and that yeah, was i mean that that's the, that's they're getting wrecked by price memory here because the price yeah. memory is based under old compensation models and a lot of other things that have just not been the same i mean but that's the other reason why i think we're only gonna get five thousand people could be yeah and i i definitely understand i'm not also in the same vein as travis you know i'm not saying that anyone's trying to get me on this but I'm going to Grand Prix Vegas, and my my plan is to play like basically no events. Like I'm going to sell cards, I'm going to buy cards, I'm going to hang out with people, and I'm going to play like 
casual side events and stuff, but like I really like the the appeal of the Grand Prix is 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 very quickly diminishing for me due to the cost of it. Not that there's anything that I can do about it or anyone else could do about it, but like the cost and just like the chances of winning anything are also quite low because of how many people play in them. So I'm just kind of in this spot where like pointing to the $90 entry fee is like my, my breaking point. I, I suppose like if it was 40, I could probably swing it. I'd, I'd at least considered it, but like for $90, I can probably buy my fiance and I a, like nice dinner instead. And I think that I would get more use out of that than nine to 18 hours of magic. Yeah, I agree completely. I think things like the art show and stuff, like the more like convention side of it is definitely where the appeal is. I think there's going to be, well, there's going to be 5,000 people. I definitely think there's going to be a lot of people that are in that room not playing just like you because they're doing cool other stuff. And I think that's a pretty reasonable thing too because then if you just want to leave at five because you just want to go do Vegas things, like it's not even an issue. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say at this point, I likely going to play the modern GP because I went all that way and I haven't really played a lot and it would be kind of fun to do it. Um, but I mean, if I don't end up playing it, like I'm planning on playing uh, Astro Told Restore Balance. Like if we get in the testing and we're a week away from the event and the deck is just 100% hot unplayable, uh, I'm not going to audible to a new deck. I'm just not going to play. Um, I'm going completely for the social aspect, you know, to see all these guys that I get to see basically once every other year um and have fun and because the flight the flight was free so it was like sure whatever um yeah i kind of wonder if i'm in a little bit of a minority on that um you know i would imagine most players plan on playing some magic at least but you're right i mean it's 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 tough to show up and like be desperate to play magic now it's just it's not one of those events i feel like well as soon as they told me that it wasn't going to be a modern masters grand prix i had almost entirely written off at even actually going um, but the fact that you and Jeremy and Ed are all going, and I'm like, ah. and my fiance is like, let's go to Vegas and go on vacation. She just likes to travel, and that that all culminated to me like being like, all right, fine, I'll just go do Vegas things and not Magic things, and I'll see other people that I know. Like that, that's really what it is to me. Like I have no interest in playing any of the Grand Prix. It didn't matter what format it was. Um, I might have done Modern Master side events like drafts and stuff if they were relatively cheap but like that's not even that exciting anymore we're so far away from modern masters being released that like i don't even know if i care like even if they were 30 dollars drafts i'd probably still like yeah no i don't really want to do that yeah I, I i agree although i think that that's more of a product of you and i less than anything else um you know we just have disconnected from the game a little bit your average player you know who's going to fnm and playing a lot is going to be more interested in playing magic than we would be I mean, I also think there's market fatigue with the master sets in general. You know, like Modern Masters came, one came, and it was the first time people had seen like someone open a Tarmogoyf in like a decade. That was like a really big deal. And even Modern Masters two, you got all those like cards, and like there was a lot of juice in that set. And while this set was juiced, like it was juiced with cards that were much more recent, so that their appeal and like the like gravitas isn't the right word. There's some word that's sort of like that. That's what I mean. But like prestige, yeah, prestige is a good word. Um, of like the entire situation isn't the right, isn't the same as it was. Okay. Um, is there anything that Jim or Paul want to discuss before we wrap this up? I do. Um, I want to discuss where you can ask your question for next week. 
if you want to win some free store credit. So uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you and, and remind everyone else that we'd like to thank our sponsors, Gathering Magic and CoolStuffInc.com, who have given us gift, or gift, gift certificates to give away. With free shipping on orders over $100 and 25% buy list bonus, then their ever popular customer rewards. Cool Stuffing is the store that you can go to for all of your magic needs and board game needs if you're also that kind of person. Not every magic shop sells uh, board games and magic cards, and Cool Stuff has very, very competitive board game prices. Let me tell you, if you've bought them on Amazon before, you could probably get them for pretty much the same price and sell your magic cards to get them. Okay, well, thanks for the info. Um, all right, Paul, where can our listeners uh, find you if they ever want to reach out and buy your Power of Vegas, for instance? Um, I will be at GP Vegas. Fine. I am definitely at the MTG Deals booth. I'm definitely the fattest one there. You'll know who I am. Um, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at, at P-R-F-E-U-D-O. That's my last name. I'm on Facebook, but if you're, I don't know you on Facebook, I'm probably not going to respond. Just to be honest, Twitter's a much better venue. Um, yeah. Just ask questions. Come say hi. If you want to sell stuff, sell stuff. If not, no worries. Um, Apparently we can text you too. Someone can. <laughs> Jim, how about yourself? Uh, you can find me every week on Modern Nexus. You can find my articles on Gathering Magic every other week. You can find me on this lovely podcast every Monday-ish. And you can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. Okay, and uh, shout out to our two co-hosts who are missing in action this week, Ed and Jeremy. Uh, They're doing much more fun things than we are. Uh, I, again, am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. Um, I do the MTG Fast Finance podcast, which you can find at the same website. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land, find magic in your area. I think that about wraps this week up. Uh, so thanks for joining me, guys. And we'll see everyone, hopefully, with a full cast uh, next Monday. <laughs>